to be talking about courage. I'm so lucky I have my wife that tells me everything. <laughs> really lucky. So it seems appropriate that as we are, uh, are entering a fourth wave of a pandemic, that we should be talking about courage. It also seems reasonable because things in general have been shifting uh, at a tremendous pace. We can think of global issues like the climate change, uh, conflict, rising epidemics. Uh, we face social issues like race relations, ethnic diversity, the workplace stress, job insecurity, or entrepreneurs who need people to come to work. Right, Charles? <laughs> so we have all these difficulties. And of course, there's also the personal things happening like the same-sex marriage issues, the gender identification. Uh, we can go on. There's lots of things in our society. And uh, we are in one of those times in history where the world is being shaken up into a, a reality that has been unsettling for all of us. And so it's going to require for us to be courageous as we look to overcome the challenges we face today. But these struggles are not unique to us. The biblical characters who have, we have come to know and appreciate for their faith, those that we read about in Hebrews 11, at one point or another had to exercise a great deal of courage to overcome their difficult circumstances. Theirs was no easy ride and quite more drastic in many ways than the challenges we face today. But we have our own unique things that are different for us. Jesus never promised to take away our problems, but rather he offered us a way to enjoy peace and joy in the midst of our tribulations. So over the next uh, 12 weeks, we are going to cover various topics that have been chosen to address some of the common concerns and struggles we are facing today by referencing uh, biblical texts and characters in the Bible that wrestled with similar issues. So let's look at some of these titles for our series. Uh, we begin uh, next week with uh, Courage at the Crossroads of Life When Faced with Opposition. And then the following week, it's When Coping with Anxiety and Depression. Uh, third week, When Confronted by Fear. Fourth, we have When Called to Be a Witness for Christ. Uh, week five is when parenting, and on that particular Sunday, we're going to have a dedication Sunday, so we're going to dedicate children who, who are wanting uh, their children to walk with the Lord, and so we will be talking about that at the same time. Uh, week six is when living in uncertain times. Uh, week seven is uh, when spiritual integrity is tested, and then week eight, when needing to embrace forgiveness. Week 9, when struggling with our faith. Week 10, when necessary to stand up for justice and oppression. And then finally, we have courage at the crossroads when faced with the prospect of death, which we all do one day. So I hope you, uh, you resonate uh, with some of these subjects. It's something we sense from the congregation, the things that we are dealing with. So uh, hopefully you will be blessed as we go through this series. I'd like to insert a caveat here. Now, when we talk about taking courage, it's not about taking courage that you come to church, okay? That's not the, we want to make that clear. Some people have reasons not to come to church. They're watching us on live stream. Good morning, by the way. And they're watching, and that's great. They have reasons for not being able to come, and so we are not judging them. It's not about that. 
Uh, and uh, we remain committed to doing that. We remain committed to offering small group studies over Zoom this fall. And we will continue to adapt as we need, as we go on. So we, we pay close attention to the situation. So to introduce the series this morning, I chose to anchor my thoughts in verse 1633 from John's Gospel. And you'll see a nice banner here of that. I hope you, you enjoy that. It's, a, it's, it's one of the great uh, verses we find in the New Testament. The verse itself is the last thing Jesus says to his disciples in the Upper Room Discourse, which spans four chapters from chapter 17 to chapter, chapter 13 to chapter 17, which is identified by theologians as a farewell discourse. I will read from verse 16 and chapter 16 to provide some, some added uh, context leading up to verse 33. But before I do that, I want us to pray. Before we look at the scripture, I want to pray so that we can really focus on our, on our scripture reading this morning. Let's pray. So, Father, we are reminded in times like these, when we walk through valleys of darkness, that we can emerge from them stronger and experience joy and peace in a renewed way. Behind any shadow, there is light that is casting it. When we have rain, we know that rain is good for the land and it is good for us. As we begin this journey about courage at the crossroads of life, we ask that you strengthen our hearts and our minds so that we can properly understand the offer you make to us that we would enjoy peace and joy in the midst of tribulations. We pray this in, the, in your precious son's unmatchable name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we read, uh, Keith is going to put up the slide, or Uberson rather, is putting up the slides, and you could follow along with that. And just to, as we start in the first few verses, you're going to see a bit of repetition. And when you see that in scripture, it's to emphasize the importance of what is being said. So pay attention to that. So from verse 16 through chapter 33. A little while longer, you no longer are going to see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he is telling us? A little while, and you are not going to see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what is this that he, he says? A little while. So we don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said, A little while, and you are not going to see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly I say to you, that you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one is going to take away your joy away from you. And on that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
If you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have been asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy will be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figures of speech, but an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name, and I am not saying to you that I will request of, of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you love me, and I believe that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father, and I have come into the world again. I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, See, now you are speaking plainly and are not using any figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and that you have no need for anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus replied to them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. May the word be blessed this morning. When we listen to these verses, we are struck by the contrast between affliction and joy, tribulation and peace, opposite things being presented as working together for good. To be honest, when I first came to Christ, I didn't think much about factoring in trial and tribulation into my journey. I had envisioned more of a smooth path towards peace and joy. I would later figure out things are different. But in paying close attention to what Jesus says, we are not being rescued from our troubles. He says clearly in verse 33, in the world you will have tribulation. What does he mean by this word, tribulation? So the Greek word for tribulation is telepsis, which means pressure, distress, affliction like a constriction of vessels from uncontrollable external sources, like the squashing of grapes to make wine or the squashing of olives to make olive oil. When you speak to Greek people, and sometimes I speak to Greek people, <laughs> it yeah, no, it's not a lot of times. A lot of times. <laughs> So when you speak to Greek people, it implies a deep, deep sorrow, something that is heart-wrenching. This is not a minor inconvenience. This is, this is a real hardship. The same work, word is used in Revelation 7.14 for great tribulation. So Jesus, in essence, is saying that we are certain to experience this kind of heart-wrenching tribulation in life. And a warning not to be blindsided, okay? But the truth of the matter is we want to avoid tribulations at all costs, right? We don't gravitate towards problems, and that's for sure, and why would we? But Jesus is trying to say, friend, this is going to be part of your reality, or friends, in speaking to the disciple, disciples. As long as we have breath, we will have troubles. 
The question is, have we really accepted that? And have we learned to trust him when bad things happen? Luckily, the word of God provides some guidance with dealing with this dilemma. And I would like us to consider a few here this morning, three that could help us along. Number one, don't be surprised when bad things happen. Okay, First Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We live in a fallen world resulting for, from the events in, in Genesis 3. And so consequently, we also find ourselves in the midst of a spiritual battle. Evil forces in the heavenly realms are constantly working against us, especially as we try to follow God and serve his purposes. That's why it's important to walk closely with Jesus so we can rec better recognize and stand against the schemes of the devil. We see the uh, armor of God in Ephesians 6 from 10 to, to 20 that speaks about that. Lots of things can happen to spin our lives out of control. Our health can change. Our bodies age and begin wasting away. Disasters unforeseen, like the floods that we saw in New York and New Jersey. Who would have thought that that could happen? We lose our jobs, our careers. We grieve friends and family, sometimes very unexpected. We can develop a mental illness that makes everyday life hard to manage. Often it is our relationships with other people that entangle us and lead us to discouragement, anger, and disillusionment. Unfortunately, we can let these events affect our joy and confidence in the Lord when they happen. It is almost like we don't expect that life should pull these kinds of surprises over us. Others may feel a sense of entitlement when they are faithful in their walk with God. They are good people and they do good things and they could get very upset when things don't turn out the way they had expected or the way they had deserved. But following Jesus is not a transactional arrangement. We shouldn't anticipate that God will meet our expectations or we will avoid trouble if we follow him. There are countless ways in which the Lord will bless us when we follow him sincerely. I could name quite a few things that I would not trade for anything in the world and that I could not experience any other way apart from following God and having put my faith in Christ. But that doesn't mean we won't have our share, fair share of struggles that goes along with that blessing. And if we do struggle, we shouldn't be ashamed to share our struggles with others in our church community, especially people in the circle of trust, like a small group. We need to surround ourselves with caring brothers and sisters who can support us when we go through these tough times. That is the benefit of belonging to a church family. It provides that extra encouragement needed in times of crisis. What worries me about this pandemic is that people have been disengaging themselves from the church. And I don't mean disengage, but I don't mean about not coming to church. I mean disengaging from the church. So you could not be able to come here on Sunday morning, but still engage with people through other ways, through other facets, through a small meeting, through a small group meeting, through a small group online. That's the thing that, that is dangerous if you don't keep meeting and connecting with, with the church. You can become isolated, and that makes you vulnerable. 
The church is a precious and valuable gift God gives us where we can grow and serve others according to our capacity and our gifts. It serves as a place for refuge for the Christians who are new to our city, who often find themselves alone or isolated. What a blessing it has been to welcome so many brothers and sisters from different parts of the world and to be able to come alongside them as they try to adapt to a new country. And we are so grateful every time new people walk into our building that are uh, coming from a different place, that uh, are just getting to know what, how it is that they can navigate the system here in uh, Quebec and in Montreal. And so uh, that's, that's one of the blessings we have as a church to welcome these people. So many big and little things will always come up at every stage of life has its challenges. We are frail and vulnerable people, so we shouldn't be surprised when bad things happen. Second point, trials or thelipsis can serve a divine purpose. I like the word thelipsis. You know, it's a, it, sounds, it sounds less severe than trial or tribulation. So somebody walked in and said, how's it going? He said, I've got a few trials and tribulations, but otherwise I'm doing okay. But if they say, how are you doing? And you say, well, I have some telepsis. <laughs> I have some telepsis, but the other one, I'm fine. Oh, you got telepsis? I've got some telepsis. It's nice to have telepsis once in a while. This seems so soft, you know? You can even share your telepsis with one another. But we know from, from many scriptures that God dis, dis, disciplines those he loves. And we'll look at a verse here that says that. It says in Hebrews 12, from 5b to 6, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So when we are loved by God, he will chastise us so we can better enjoy our relationship with him and with others. The word meaning for that word discipline chosen here combines the thoughts of chastening and education. So chastening and education, right? We are learning something. And it points to the fact that sufferings teach us something. It is not only about sin management or control, but it's about how to be perfected in God's love and likeness. So if we are honest with ourselves, we learn more from the reproofs from God than what we could learn from our own efforts. Do I get an amen for that? Amen. Right? God, oh boy, I learned good lessons from him. Didn't have to read a book. Even the church as an institution sometimes needs to get chastised when it becomes too self-serving, judgmental, and lacks a proper vision. We had our uh, leadership retreat yesterday, and we talked about some of the things we did well, but we also talked about something that we, did, we didn't do well. And it is because the Lord, if the Lord loves our church, he's going to chastise us to make sure we do things better if we want to serve his purposes. So if we wholeheartedly want to follow Jesus, there will be painful lessons on the journey, both for the individual and the church. But again, we need to keep in mind that pain and joy, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. A verse later on says this in uh, Hebrews 12, 11, right? In the same chapter of Hebrews. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
Here again, we have pain and peace, two opposites mentioned together to produce good. Sadly, however, discipline does not benefit all believers. Those who profit are those who scripture says in this verse who are trained by it. They embrace it as from God and they will endure, allowing heaven to do what is necessary in them. God is trying to open up new possibilities, but it's quite possible, quite possible that we are resisting him. Some people delay. They say, well, maybe when my circumstances change, you know, I got to get to so-and-so, I got to do this and this and that. And there's a delay and there's a delay until the circumstances change. But the Lord is trying to lead you somewhere else. But you stay stuck and you refuse to be trained by where the Lord is leading you. Third point, Jesus ultimately provides consolation for our suffering. So when Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, he is preparing them for what is to come. He says, you will weep and mourn, but then that will be followed by joy. He also uses the analogy of a woman who goes into labor, and then after she has given birth, forgets the pain she endured because of the joy she experiences as a mother. Again, we are presented by the contrast of something bad leading to something good, which far outweighs the bad. We also keep in mind this encouragement from Jesus as you consider your own situation. Consider also the evidence that is in the text this morning, where Jesus predicts that the disciples would scatter, but then their sorrow would turn to joy at the resurrection. They would then be willing to suffer as martyrs when they otherwise scattered at the crucifixion. What had they seen, heard, or experienced with Jesus that would have so convicted them to be transformed in such a way? Also, we need to consider these things so that we can run our race with endurance. Our temporary afflictions will one day be transformed into something incredible and our recollection of our earthly struggles will fade and they're gonna be a distant memory. That's the promise that is guaranteed to all those who have placed their faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you need to be mindful of that and aware of that and consider that if you haven't done so. The last verse of Jesus' farewell discourse, and that's the one we have up here. This last verse is one of the most cherished in the Gospel of John. This statement, it combines teaching, remembrance, warning, and encouragement, all packaged into one. The disciples, they receive a command to take courage, for he has overcome the world. Interesting side note here. Jesus talks about an event in the past tense that is yet to come. And this is common in both ancient literature and biblical prophecy. Jesus speaks of something guaranteed by God as if it already happened. So we should therefore receive a consolation from these, these precious words of Jesus. And then the ensuing events that we know now took place to give us the strength and the courage we need to navigate the storms of life we now experience. 
In, in conclusion, I want to encourage you all this morning that although life gets rough and we might feel vulnerable and scared, we have a blessed hope that awaits us could, that could never perish and that could never fade. While we're in this process, it is incumbent that we steward our minds to be prepared in those types of, in those type, times of trouble, in those delipsis moments. We take courage in that we have an eternal Father who loves us and will never leave us and never forsake us. He also wants us to have true and lasting joy, joy while we are in these jars of clay. It's not only about eternity, but in, in the moment. He wants us to have joy so that our hope in what is yet to come will even be stronger. So I urge you as a fellow brothers and sisters to encourage one another, strengthen yourself in the word, and take pleasure in the work of his vineyard. Keep your minds well fixed on the things above so when you can endure when times of testing will come. I want to conclude and leave you with this final verse uh, before we pray. And it's in 2 Corinthians 4.18. I will read it, but it's not on the screen there. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory behind all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, they're transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, we want to bless you this morning for giving us such a blessed hope. We know life on earth matters not, be, not because it's the only life we have, but precisely because it isn't. It's the beginning of life that will continue without end. May what we have reflected on this morning, especially the words that have come to us from you, have the power to transform how we live today, especially when we need courage at those difficult crossroads of life. We pray in the almighty name of Jesus. Amen.